welcome to another DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and today we have a really cool interview with audiobook narrator Renee Rodman. Her publicist pitched me a little while ago, and part of the pitch read, she's been the voice of Grand Duchess Anastasia, Anne of Green Gables, and Alice in Wonderland, and Danielle Steele handpicked her for her latest release. Rodman has recorded over 300 audiobooks. So in this podcast, Renee Rodman and I sit down and talk about what it's like to be an audiobook narrator, and I think it's really cool. I hope you enjoy it. The music that you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. I'll have information at the end of the podcast. And now, a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Jove, publisher of Nalini Singh's explosive and sexy side-changeling book, Heart of Obsidian, which is now available in paperback. And now, on with the podcast, I'd like to introduce you to Renee Rodman. Would you please do the easy one, introduce yourself and tell us who you are and tell us what you do. Well, first of all, I am really excited about uh, being part of your forum, Sarah. I love romance books. So it's, it's, a, it's a great, yeah, a great combination. Uh, my name is Renee Rodman and I am an audiobook narrator. And uh, I have been for about seven years. I've recorded just shy of 300 audiobooks in every genre you can imagine. Holy cow. And um, I love my job. So I feel very fortunate to have a job that um, I feel passionate about. And as they say, if you love your job, you never have to work another day in your life, right? Isn't that the truth? Yes. Now, you said you recorded audiobooks in just about every genre. And I know that your publicist mentioned that you record Daniel Steele and you've recorded other romance novels. What are some of the books that our audience might have heard of that you've recorded? You know, the, only about the top like three or four hundred. Um, let's see. Well, I have to say I did a little, I, um, I looked on your website and blog and I noticed that you loved Jennifer Cruzy. Yep. And, um, what's terrible is, uh, after 300 audiobooks, I don't get all the names just right. But, um, I have, I loved recording. I did a couple of her books, uh, on, in audio format and I loved them both. I think one of them was called, I'm hoping this was hers. Manhunter? Manhunter. Manhunting. Yes. Yes. I did that one and I did another one with, she, she um, co-authored, if I'm not mistaken, with somebody else. Yeah. That would have been Bob Mayer. Oh, yeah. He oh, was wow. either Don't Look Down or Don't Agnes and Down. the Hitman. It was Don't Look Down. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. And I recorded that with Patrick Lawler and, um, oh, we had so much fun. Uh, in that case, it's, it's, uh, it doesn't happen very often, but once in a while I get to record with somebody else. And with Jennifer Cruzy and Suzanne Brockman and uh, Catherine Coulter, we've done collaborative efforts where you uh, they do all the men's voices or all the men's POV and I get to do all the women. And uh, it's a lot of fun. And we take out all the he saids, she saids. So it's sort of like a movie for the mind. At least that's the goal. Oh, that sounds like fun. So, for example, if um, instead of, let's say my character's name is Holly, so instead of saying, I told you to shut the door, Holly said, and then the guy says, uh, but I'm not finished, George said. So we get to take all of that out. I told you not to shut the door, but I'm not finished. You know, it's really... So it's actual dialogue instead of dialogue tags. Exactly. It makes it a lot of fun. And you're a trained actress, is that correct? You have a, a considerable history of stage performance? Yes, uh, 
I never thought I would be doing audiobooks, but what's so strange is I have loved them from such an early age, <laughs> and it never occurred to me to go into voiceover. And my voice, uh, I had an on-camera career, uh, prime time, um, some film, and then daytime. And then I also did a lot of radio and TV commercials, and then I got into um, you know, more voiceover as well, doing cartoons and video games. And then I met uh, I met someone who his name is Scott Brick. He's very big in the audiobook community, and we agreed to trade information. Uh, I gave him information on the commercial side of things, and he said, "Well, let me share with you about audiobooks." And it's so funny because I was obsessed with audiobooks um, years ago when I just didn't seem to have time to read, and my I would usually get a mystery or a romance, and I would just drive forever just so I could listen to them. I've definitely done that. Yeah. I've, I've driven I've, out of my way so I could finish yeah. a book. <laughs> I've driven so far as to go down and see my brother in San Diego <laughs> <laughs> from Southern California uh, because I so did not want to put the book down, if, you know, so to speak. And uh, so when he mentioned that about, I thought to myself, wow, an opportunity to do audiobooks. That was like uh, the thought of doing that was dying and going, going to happen. Because then I thought I would actually get paid to read, and the only time I got to read <laughs> was going on vacation. Well, of course, starting out, I didn't get to choose all of the books I wanted to do. I took everything I could, of course. Uh, uh, you know, but later on, I would say I want to do books I would read on vacation, and and what a great life, right? So it always feels like I'm on vacation. That's fantastic, <laughs> right? In in the process of performing a romance. And and I and I and I hesitate to use that word. Is that the right word? When you're recording an audiobook, you're not just reading it; you're performing it, right? I mean, I'm correct about that. That's correct. And, That's and it, correct. And it's never just saying you know it's read by somebody; it's always performed. Because if it's just you reading, you have to come up with different ways to distinguish the characters all in your voice. Right. And you know what's funny about bringing that up? My background in acting and commercials and cartoons, and especially cartoons and video games. You know, we had to create very distinct voices. Of course. So I, I didn't know. There, there was an old style of audiobook narration, and I, I hate to use that word old, but where people more just, they lifted the words off the, the author's words off the page. They were fantastic to listen to, but I didn't know that you didn't necessarily fully create a voice for every single character. I didn't know better when I got into it. And in fact, um, a lot of authors will write uh, from chapter to chapter based on a point of view from a character, even though it's written in third person. Right. And so I narrate that narrative in, in their essence of voice. And I didn't know that that really wasn't done. So for me, I did what I wanted to, what I would like to listen to. And so, yes, we create or, you know, and I think that's sort of the wave of audiobooks going now is much more fully performed. But I just always gave everyone their own distinct voice so that if they were speaking, you never had to wonder who was talking. It, that Your brain didn't have to do that much work. That was my goal anyway. That's a very good goal, especially considering the venues in which people listen to audiobooks. Most people who are using them are doing something while they listen Right. And so you, you're allowing their brain to enjoy without having to identify who's speaking. And, and again, that was 
how my experience, because I listened to so many of them, I thought, oh, I just want it to, I want to make it as easy as possible. Because when we watch television, we get two senses. Yes. So we get our eyes so we can see what's happening and we get our ears. But with only our ears, we have to, it takes more time to create the picture. Yes. And I am by far an, an audible learner. Ditto. Than I am reading. And I, so now I'm passionate about audiobooks for a whole new reason because if I'd had more access to audio when I was young, I think I would have been a much more voracious, voracious reader. And I would have picked up on a lot more um, of history. And I just remember when the teachers would tell me stories, it would just go into my brain and stick. Oh, absolutely. If, yeah, if I had to read it, it wasn't as good in terms of my retention. So now when I start an audiobook, I intentionally, I don't know if this is the right thing to do, but I intentionally start slower so that the listener has a chance to get on board because it's hard work with just one sense. Oh, absolutely. To grasp what's going on. So So. what are some of the things that you notice about romance as you perform it? I know you said you're a romance fan and you've recorded all different genres. Are there things that rec- about romance novels that make them unique when you're when you're performing an audiobook? Um, you know, aside from all the throbbing and the, right. Well, I was just yeah. going to say, I never take I never take lunch immediately after the heavy love scene. Because <laughs> I need a little recovery time, um, and I don't want to face my engineer immediately after. <laughs> I'm turning. You can't see me, but I'm turning red right now. <laughs> I can't. I can't look. We were just talking about throbbing manhoods and lots of members right. and thrusting, and yeah, I, I just need to be by myself. I will say that my first few romance novels, I never thought about performing that when you read it. You know, when you read a book and you're on the beach, nobody knows what you're reading, and and but when you perform it, I thought, well, I'm going to commit to this just like I commit to the rest of my characters and the story, and so. You know, I, uh, well, I, <laughs> now I'm going to really turn, I mean, I just, I try to live what the, my character's living in that moment. My, I hadn't, again, not having any, when I first started out, not having the experience of sort of watching other performers do this, or I would get done with, when I would fly, uh, one company, Brilliance Audio, I would fly to Michigan before I had my own home studio and I would perform there and that's where I did some of those Jennifer Cruzy novels and I would come out and they'd all be fanning themselves and they go they said Renee you give just about the best love scenes we've ever heard <laughs> and I said thank you I think you yeah. know and, what do you uh, say to that I don't I would not know what to say I learned that it's nice not to have um a big window in yep. the booth when you so you can't see anybody and you're just in your own little world and it's an interesting experience for sure definitely so, yeah I've read that a lot of preparation goes into actually recording an audiobook that for every say 10 hours of recorded audio sometimes only a small percentage is usable do you have to re-record scenes for the beginner it usually takes about two to two and a half times the amount of time so if for example for a one finished hour it usually takes about two to two and a half hours of recording time for a very beginner I'm at the point now where it takes me about one and a half times so for one hour finished material it takes me about one and a half hour to record the way most people narrate audio now is by the punch-in method so for example um, again I use an engineer so he's outside the booth and 
I've got my headphones on, and if I make a mistake, if the line is, Jack ran across the street, and I say, Jack ran across the street, right. I will just hear the, he'll just immediately replay the prior sentence, and I just punch right in and keep going. So it keeps moving pretty quickly, and then you have an almost finished product, a pretty clean product by the end of the book. That's quite a skill, though, to be able to hear the line and jump right back into it and not be thinking, oh, I screwed up. Right. Yeah. It was actually, uh, that's uh, insightful for you to say, Sarah. In the beginning, I just remember getting, thinking, oh, I wonder if I'm making more mistakes than you're, you know, than the people they've been working with. And, right. And how many times you'd have to redo a line, like if you had this really long word or a lot of um, alliteration and every word starts with an S and you're yes. trying to have sibilance. Um, and, but after a while, and also if you had a breath in there, you have to listen to the breath. But I think my um, years of looping on movies yes. uh, really helped with that. Once I got over what the other people were thinking and let that go, it is a skill, but it, it, it came pretty naturally after a short period of time. Are you able to listen to your own voice? <sighs> or do you kind of go, oh. Uh, yeah, you know, in the beginning, it was very difficult for me. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I wear headphones and I'm always listening for mouth noises and stomach growls or any potential outside noise. And so I, I am much more used to the sound of my own voice. But I'll tell you that when I pop in an older audiobook to listen to old characters, uh, if there's a series that I'm doing and I think, oh, I need to get that one character's voice back. I don't remember what his essence was or his uh, personality. And I will um, have to listen back. And it's a little jarring. I think, oh, I would have done that line different again. If I could. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard not to be self-critical about it. So writers are, of course, very familiar. And I'm sure everyone who is a writer who will listen to this is going to nod their head and say, yes, if I had to write my books over again, I would do many things differently. So it's nice to know that perfectionism extends to all areas. <laughs> it really does. It really does. And you know what's interesting about what you just said is it never happens where I think, oh, I wish the author would have written that differently. No. You know I never thought about that. But um, I, I just feel like our job or my job is just to make it work fantastic the way it was written. Well, that's part of being an actor is taking the text that you're given and making a person out of it. Right. In in the world of, you know, more on camera, certainly, mm -hmm. you, you have a little bit of leeway with the sides that you're given or meaning you could add nuance. And I'm not I'm not even saying change the words, but you could stretch words out. You start, you know, you're in that moment. It's not, not like that with audiobooks. We're pretty persnickety about using every word exactly as written. And that's, this is the only medium I know that that's, that it honors the uh, author's work like that. A few minutes ago, you had mentioned looping. Now, I know what that is, but it occurred to me that other people might not understand what looping is. Could you explain that? Sure. In movies and TV, uh, sometimes there will be so bad sounds. Um, there'll be external noise in which uh, the original actor has to come in and fix their dialogue. Also what happens in movies, is, and I'll think of an example, uh, term, there's a movie from years ago, Terminal Velocity, and uh, the lead female character was Nastasha Kinski. And she was not able to be available to do her own looping for the rough cut of the movie. So 
all of her scenes in which there was a lot of action had a lot of noise and they I think because she has a softer voice they needed her to come in and replace those lines underneath that action well because she wasn't available they held auditions and I happened to get the job to do her looping so you know she has a slight accent a slight sort of Romanian Russian accent in there and I end up replacing all of those lines for the rough cut as it worked out they thought they matched so well that they left it in for the whole run of the movie so about I don't know a quarter of the movie a third of the movie is actually my voice you know for her during all the action scenes so you were mimicking Nastasia Kinski right I would either get to see her lips move and you know you have these little beeps that that you know there'll be three beeps and then the fourth beep is when she would start to speak, and that's where I would come in. And you either have to match her lips or match her body movements and the yelling or the softness. or the. And, I, and there's been other movies like that. Um, I know that for the Tarzan Legend of, Legend of Greystoke, Andy McDowell's acting was judged to have too much of a southern accent. And I think Glenn Close was brought in and dubbed the whole film. That's a great example of looping. Yes, exactly. So you realize that in the future, should you ever wish to you know, be at a cocktail party and being an audiobook narrator isn't impressive enough for whatever reason, you could also say, I was Nastasha Kinski's double. You don't have there to say you voice double. You could just say double. <laughs> uh, they might look at me twice for that. But yeah, it's a, I absolutely. In fact, we, I was so surprised that they kept, her in, um, kept my voice in the movie because you get paid on... Uh, how often they run the movie. So that's like well, a residual. Exactly. So I thought it was a one time. Yeah, I thought I was getting paid for the, the days that I worked. I think it was three or four days. And then I started getting these other checks and my girlfriend said, hey, can you go to Paris? I go, I can now. <laughs> so that was great fun. Now, one of the things your publicist tempted me with was secrets of the audiobook recorder or the audiobook narrator and including how you move through sex scenes which includes not looking at your engineer although I would like to imagine that in audiobook land all of the narrators or or the excuse me the engineers are all very hot oh yes yes they are they're all dreamboats they're all dreamboats but what are some of the other secrets you'd like to share um well some of them are uh not very sexy, so to speak, but they're, I suppose they're a little bit interesting. When I first got my own recording studio, oh, this is, this is just embarrassing. <laughs> but um, I had moved to Ojai, California, because it was quiet, and I wanted to give this audiobook uh, world a real, a real shot, and I was one of the few females with their first home studio. So that's one of the reasons why I got to do so many different genres because there weren't very many of us who who did that sort of thing in our home and could save the uh, publisher some money that way. But in Ojai, it would sometimes get up to about, oh, I don't know, 100, 114 degrees in the summer. The air conditioning, because I didn't have a fully built out commercial studio, I couldn't run the air conditioning when I would narrate because you could hear it <laughs> in the background. So I would have to come up with very creative ways to stay cool, which included going to Target and buying those uh, hard blue ice packs that you put in um, coolers. (laughs) And I would freeze them. And then I would put them on my chair and put a towel over them so I didn't have freezer burn. And I would literally sit on blue frozen ice blocks. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's awesome. Oh, and my mom, she had heard about this and she said, she goes, I have another idea, but so you don't get, you know, she was all worried that I was going to get my legs burnt. <laughs> I said, she said, just take a froze, a washcloth and wring it out, get it wet, wring it out and shape it like in a U form, put it in the freezer and then you can just put that around your neck. And I thought, oh, that's brilliant until <laughs> water starts to drip down in the middle of your recording and you're so yeah, exactly. If there's no water in this audio book, now I have a problem. Exactly. So that is, so that was an interesting one. You have to, I have to be very careful what I wear. It, you, you know, when we narrate during action scenes or even love scenes, you want to move. And so... Can't be wearing any taffeta. Right. No, no leather. Taffeta. In fact, you shouldn't, you should move very little at all. And so what I do during the action scenes to keep my energy up is I literally, I know you can't see me, I lift both hands up in the air, almost like I'm, like if I were uh, signaling a touchdown. Right. <laughs> and both palms straight out, and I narrate the whole action scene so that no part of my body is touching another part. But there's all this tension in my arms and hands, and and so that helps keep the tension up for the scene without any sound. That'll move um, your diaphragm around. Right, Exactly. Um, and, uh, interestingly enough, it keeps me from eating a lot of sugar because, um, sugar creates like a stickiness in your mouth and creates mouth noises. Do you have to stay away from dairy as well? So you don't get mucous membrane buildup? That's correct. (laughs) Well, you know a lot about this. Um, I used to sing and I remember being told I was not allowed to have any milk with cereal when I was a kid before we had a performance because the milk and the cereal would make us all sound like we had the flu. That's exactly right. In fact, it's interesting. When you first came out, I thought, wow, I tend to listen to people's voices a lot now. And um, when you first came on, I thought, wow, she has a great voice. Oh, thank I, so you. I, I was going to tell you, you could certainly be a, a narrator yourself, but you you have all the technique down because of your, your singing. Oh, I would love that job. It would be so fun. Oh, and it's I bet- funny, I bet this has happened to you. I've sometimes been recognized because of my voice. Like I'll start talking and somebody will go, you're Sarah. Like, yes. How did you know? Did yes. I have a sign? Does that happen to you as well? Yes. One of my first radio commercials I did in Southern California. I'm originally from Michigan. And back then, this was, boy, back in 1989, 1990, I still had a fair amount of my Michigan accent. And this is a true story. I was in a McDonald's drive-through, and I only had nine words in my very first commercial. But it was the way I said the word "car." It was for a, um, a company called Security Pacific Bank. The woman on the drive-through said, "Do you have a radio commercial on right now?" <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? And she That's said, hilarious. Uh, yeah, because I said something, I'm in my car, and it was the way I drew out the car. And she said, oh, you sound just like that girl on the Security Pacific Bank. <laughs> I will say that I have to take extra vitamin D because I sit in a, a you know a pitch black recording studio about eight hours a day, five days a week. Yes, that's, that'll give you a little seasonal effective audio book. Right, exactly. One time somebody said, I'm also known for doing pretty good men characters, especially in romance books. And so they said, but we love the way you create your men and how, you know, how do you do that? And I said, I thought about it because I, I thought, oh, that's a really interesting question. And then I thought, oh, you know, I just create the men that I want to meet. We think, oh, well, this is who I want chasing me or how I want my, I get to create the perfect man every single time. 
Oh, what a horrible job that is. I know. That's just terrible. And I get to fall in love every single time. So what a great job, really. It's an interesting mix of both performance and speech and diction because you can't overact an audiobook because then it just sounds kind of ridiculous. But right. you do have to imbue what you're saying with some level of emotion and motivation. Now, your your publicist mentioned that you don't read the end of the book before you record it. Is that true? Because I do so many audiobooks now, I do have people who help me prep the books. Of course. And so what that means is they go through and they look up, you know, they help me look up all those words that when we're reading a book, we'll just skim over the book and we don't think we have to know how to say every single word, but as a narrator, you do. And, um, or a certain town in Africa, you know, we'll just yep. read over it. So um, I have people who help me look up all the uh, pronunciations. And then they also help me code the script, meaning I just have the first initial of the person who's speaking that line at the beginning. A lot of people don't do this anymore. They work on iPads, and I still like the old-fashioned script. Anyway, they'll code the whole script, and uh, they'll highlight the areas if it says... Um, don't do that, she yelled. But if she yelled came way later, well, I need to know. So they'll highlight that and my eye can go down there and I realize that line is yelled, that sort of thing. So they code all of that and they help me pull out all the characters. I do prep the book by reading it on my iPad very quickly. But I don't read the last couple of chapters because that's usually where the most emotion is. That's usually where the big reveal is. And Although I know because I have a summary from the people who prep the book, they tell me exactly how the book ends. And I know all the characters and I read 75, 80% of the book. I want to discover that ending really fresh. And, um, you know, I want to discover those words for the first time. I, I get just as emotional. You know, I, I'm right there with my character and or if it's a scary book, you know, I am right on the edge of my seat at that very moment. And so I choose not to do that. And a lot of people may, other narrators may say that's wrong or people may, authors, you know, but I just find that I get to discover it with the listener and it makes me so present and usually very emotional in a really good way. Have you ever cried while recording an audiobook? Many times. <laughs> Did you have to re-record it? Because I'm yeah. kind of an ugly crier myself. Like, yeah, exactly. Snot um, everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants snot in their audiobook. Right. I, uh, you learn the technique, or I've learned the technique where, you know, you cannot let it go, which I actually, meaning fully, Yep. but it's there, and I'll have tears coming down my face, but it still has to be as clean as possible. So it's a bit of a technique, but I allow myself to feel all of those things. And I will just hang on for dear life until I can get to the end of that chapter or section. And then I'll tell my engineer, take a moment, you know, and then I go, I go, take your headphones away and I'll just blow my nose. <laughs> Did it. I wonder if I'm saying too much. Um, yeah. So, so you have a, an outtake track of you blowing your nose? Oh, yeah. That's oh, fantastic. One other thing when you ask about the audio secrets is... I listen to the way everyone speaks now. Uh, I was not that great with accents. I, even in when I had other voiceover, my Russian accent was good. I have no idea why, but I was quite weak on the rest of them. And so I would just listen to anybody speak who 
didn't just sound like absolute middle America who had something interesting about their voice or the, their cadence or their accents. Because in these audiobooks, you're just, n- nobody tells you ahead of time. Uh, one of the main characters has got a, your guy has a deep southern accent. You don't really know that. I mean, you just need to have it down. So, And it's something that you discover as you're looking at the character and you realize other characters have remarked on the way he says something. Clearly he has some sort of accent, but that's not something – you, you don't have a dialogue tag that says he said in a southern accent. Like nobody right. says that. We right. We don't have that ahead of time. But in prepping the book, um, I have all these character sheets. I have full descriptions on everybody, especially – I noticed on your site you had a recent interview with Carly Phillips. Yes. And I had so much fun doing her Lucky series, Lucky Charm. This was years ago, but Lucky Charm, Lucky Streak, Lucky Break. And um, I got sideswiped because I realized all these characters were from Boston. But you, in, in the book one and the brothers talk, you know, you don't get to hear. It doesn't describe them. So by the time I get to book two, it would describe characters in book one completely different than I had chosen to do them. <laughs> and I, I loved Carly's books. I just felt so bad because I, and I try, you know, I thought I did a pretty good job, but in terms of the accents or certain things, and that's just one of the um, perils now. When I find out I'm doing a series, I now try to contact the author and say, is there anything I should know about any of these lead characters that is likely to come up later on that we don't know, you know, at this point? Is that a common thing for you to do now when you're recording a book to contact the author and ask questions or to, to find out more about the series? Um, it depends on which publisher I'm working with. For the most part, um, we don't contact the author unless we have specific questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not really it, – it, for whatever reason, it's not really encouraged by the publishers. But in cases where we need to find out pronunciations or I've got a memoir coming up, you know, if I need to know how to, they, they've talked about friends in the book. Well, of course, I want to pronounce their, their friends' names right. Of course. To be honest with you, the time that most author interaction comes up is when it's over. You know, I'll write them a note and just tell them, you know, if I feel compelled to, why I love their book. or And just as a side note, I don't necessarily expect to hear back or why I thought it was fantastic and... So I've actually created author relationships that way. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. So who are some of your favorite romance authors that you've performed or that you haven't performed? I know, hard question. The minute someone asks you that, your mind goes blank and you're like, uh, the one? Yeah, with 300 books, it's hard in terms of – because there truly are so many. I did one a while ago, and Lisa Kleypas. I love her. Oh, my God. she, She writes the best sex scenes. Yes. And in fact, she I did her book called um Blue Eyed Blue Eyed Devil. Yep. And that I will get people I think I did that man six or seven I don't know, five. It's been a while since that book came out. And more people will write to me about that book because it had the lead girl she had been abused Mm -hmm. and so she had trouble getting through her you know, love scenes because of you know, she'd keep going back to that place. Anyway, it was a very powerful book, and and um, I, I I really loved it. But to have so many fans reach out over and over again after this amount of time, um, so I I would love to do more of Lisa, Lisa's books. Somebody I would like to do is a I have not done a Nora Roberts book. I remember reading her uh, a lot and thinking, oh, 
you know, I would love to hear this in audiobook. And so then when I started to do, do audiobooks, I was actually scheduled to do one of her, her books. And the time it didn't work out, I was on a soap opera at the time. And books that I didn't think would con- be considered romance by Ilona uh, Andrews. It's a husband-wife yep. team. Yep. Yeah, Magic, Magic Bites, Magic Rises. I've done all of those audiobooks. They've been really good to me. And they have a huge following yes. in the romance community. Oh, yes, because it's a slow-building romance over several books. And within paranormal and urban fantasy, romance fans know that you may not get the payoff of the main couple until book five or book six, but reading the whole thing is going to be powerful good. Right. And and in fact, they had switched audio publishers uh, last year, and I didn't know it. Um, and a girlfriend, another fellow narrator, wrote, and she goes, do you know there's this whole online uprising over the fact that you may not do the next audiobook? <laughs> and I said, that must have felt kidding. good. Right. And I went, you're kidding. I had no idea. I didn't even know I had fans. You know, like, <laughs> Really? Who knows out there? So I reached out to and Ilona and her, Gordon and I, we have a great relationship. And she said, Renee, we were, were very afraid that you're not going to do it, but we don't know enough about this new audio publisher. And I said, boy, they're one of the few I haven't worked with, but I'll reach out to them. And they said, without a doubt, we have to have you do it. Oh, and that's nice. So it was, a, yeah. And that has been a great series of books and a lot of work though. It's probably the most work I've done in audio are alone because the characters and the, the different um, worlds they live in both. I do both their series, the edge and Kate Daniels. Yeah. Love doing Danielle Steele, Catherine Coulter, Marina Adair. She's got the, um, I don't know if you know about her Napa series. Uh, St. Helena, I guess they call it. The St. Helena Vineyard series. I think if you like that series where you get the different family members, all those bad boys who could never be tamed. (laughs) Um, And then they find just the right woman. And it's, you know, it's not all roses, but it's it's really good. And, oh, there's a... uh, an author. Her name is Deborah Koontz. I know who she is. Yep. She does the, speaking of Lucky, she does the Lucky series, Lucky O'Toole. Yep. First of all, she makes Vegas look like, I mean, every time I finish one of her books, I want to fly off to Vegas immediately because it is, she makes the sexiest Vegas ever. And it's just, <laughs> you want to be part of that. And it, oh, so every time I get done, I'll tell my fiance, we got to go this weekend to Vegas. He goes, what? <laughs> okay, we, go. we have to go to the Babylon. In fact, Deborah Coots told me once that a cab driver, who, a cab driver found out who she was. He goes, do you know I've had more than, there's been a couple people who've actually gotten in my cab and been asked to take to the Babylon, which is the hotel that she creates. This which fantastic- isn't real. No. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. But she, that, those series of books are a lot of fun as well. When you read now for pleasure, do you start thinking about how the book would be as an audiobook? Well, reading for pleasure, when you think that I've done 300 audiobooks in about six or seven years, that's 35 books a year. Yep. Which means it's about the only thing I have time to read other than email. So (laughs) this is your pleasure. Good thing you love your job. Exactly. So I don't get to read for, I almost never get to read for pleasure. Wow. Except a magazine. But the flip side is you get to record and perform the books that you love. Right. Are there other audiobook narrators that you're fans of? Is this sort of a community that knows about one another and you like you guys have like an annual conference at a big bar somewhere and like try to outvoice over each other? 
<laughs> well, we do have an all animal. the MC of the final show. Oh yeah, everybody's trying to outdo everybody else. Um, we do have an annual conference in New York. It's called the Audio Publishers Association, and there is something called the Audi Awards. Yes, and that's the Oscar equivalent. Yes, that I've heard of. Yes, and I have. I've been nominated for four. Uh, I have. I, I love saying this. Um, one of the books I was nominated for, I lost to Johnny Depp. You know. Okay, that I think that's tolerable. Yeah. If so you're gonna I, lose, <laughs> lose to Johnny Depp, and lose to Johnny Depp narrating the Keith Richards story, right? Yes, that is exactly who you can totally handle losing to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we do all get together, and I have a lot of respect. I feel like um, sometimes I feel like a hack because. Some of these narrators are not only are they fantastic, but they're so deeply trained in, you know, heavy Shakespeare and classics that uh, I'll be honest, I don't I don't have that kind of training. So do you have any upcoming releases that people should know about if they're interested in trying out some of your audiobooks? Do you have any recommendations of your own performances or books that are coming out? I would definitely say, you know, if you like the paranormal, to for sure check out The Magic Rises, which is, it's been out for a few months, but I think that's, well, I think that whole series is great. So I, I definitely suggest that. There's a Relic series. I actually, I really like the romance in this book, even though it's touted as more of a female Indiana Jones, but it's this woman who has these two men and they both want her and it, she goes back and forth. I, I really like them. The, it's called the Relic series. The most recent one is Fountains of Secrets by Anita Clenny. I, I thought I think they're a lot of fun. I'm going to attempt to stop my dog from digging a hole in the carpet, but he does this once a podcast. Oh, I could just hear him shake. Yes, he's so cute. <laughs> now there you go, digging a hole in the carpet. It's, part, it's time for that part of the podcast. Every time I spend all this time in my office, I'm writing. No big deal. But when it's time to record, we need to dig a hole in the carpet. That is funny. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and they're rescues, so they don't like it when I'm home and they're not exactly like five inches from me. So or the, or the center of your attention. Exactly. Right? Oh, oh, the, the hole in the carpet has been dug, and all is well now. Great. Sorry okay. about that. One last question for you: What are your? If someone asks you for a recommendation of a romance that you really loved, performed or not, what what are the romances that you most often reread or recommend or think are just the best in in your experience? No pressure. Right. Um, <laughs> it's a hard question, I know. Well, you know, I'm, I am going to go back to the Lisa Kleypas, Blue-Eyed Devil. That one was just special for a lot of reasons. One of the things I like about romance is that there is a formula. And, mm -hmm. I mean, people go, oh, there's the formula, but it works. Nope, and it's a structure that works. It's a structure that works. Don't mess with it. And, we, you know, those of us who yearn for it, it works over and over and over again. But there was something about that book that had a lot of deep had a, a lot of reality and life in it, and I'm terrible with favorites. People will ask me favorite color, favorite movie, favorite song, and I, I do. If you could see me right now, I am a deer caught in headlights because <laughs> you know, it depends on which mood. If I want to be light, if I want to escape, if I want. I, I think Lisa Kleypas is a fantastic recommendation. I don't know very many people that would disagree with you there. For any of your audience who happen to be faith faith based, and even not. Um, because it's really not heavily into that, but that was from where it came. There was an author, her name is Jane Pert. Uh, I think she died in the early 2000s, if I'm not mistaken. But she wrote a series called the Montclair Bride Series. 
And there were 15 books. I would narrate one book every month for a year and a half. And I felt like I was both my engineer and he's male, you know, but yeah. at the end of that year and a half, we felt like, how can we not have another one next month? It was very, very tough, but it would, it started. And I think they were really interesting. Wow. It started at the beginning of America, essentially. And it took place in, um, oh gosh, I, I think it started in Georgia, like near where Savannah would be, you know, mm -hmm. that and they had the great big homes that they'd come over from England and built these, you know, the huge uh, southern estates. The book followed different family members throughout time, and it went through, boy, World War One, World War Two, the Revolutionary War, yep. uh, the sinking of the Titanic, and they go back and forth to England and these things that were not, they're not okay now, the, you know, how they would choose their young brides. And, yep. But... Each one was a love story, and um, I couldn't believe what I – now, it wasn't completely factual to history, but what I learned narrating those 15 bride books was way more than I ever learned in high school about oh. the history of our country. Oh, of course, and the, and the way that history plays out in the way ordinary people had relationships with one another. Right, especially the uh, war of the, you know, the blue and the gray. That oh, was, of course. Oh, heartbreaking but I thought they were wonderfully written and um, there's a like I said there's a thread of a faith base but it's nothing that's shoved down anybody's throat and you just take this journey throughout um, our country and these lives of these people who it's easy to bag on them when you think oh they had all these mansions and they had these parties but their lives were completely shattered and the things that would happen anyway it was just great I feel like I'm leaving so many of my other uh, fantastic ones out, and I don't want to do that either. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I have a feeling that when I post this podcast this week, it usually goes up on Fridays. I have a feeling that when I post the podcast, people will have questions that they want to ask you. So if I okay. get questions from people, can we do another interview? Of course. Oh, that would be so fun. Thank you so oh, I'm much. I'm so honored. I'm so honored. Thank you. Oh, this has been so much fun. And I have been looking forward to this interview all week, just thinking how interesting it's going to be. Because one of the things that I've learned as a reader who runs a blog about the genre, I have learned so much about all of the different people that make the books possible. And there are so many audiobook readers out there to have the, a narrator come and talk to us. It's just so cool. So thank you so much for your time. And that's all for this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the interview. I want to thank Ms. Rodman for joining me and talking at length about her job and her career. And I want to thank her publicist, Stephanie Flights from Arlene Howard, for setting this interview up in the first place. Sometimes those pitches are the best part of my email inbox, I tell you. Do you have questions for Renee? Anything you want to know that we didn't address during the podcast? You can email us because she is open to doing another interview. Yay! You can email us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. That's S for Sarah, B for bitches, J for Jane, podcast at gmail.com. You can also leave a voicemail at our Google Voice number, which is in the U.S., 1-201-371-DBSA. Please don't forget to give us your name and where you're calling from so we can include your message in an upcoming podcast. If you think there's something I should have asked that didn't or you have a question that you're dying to know the answer to about audiobook narration, please let us know because Renee is eager to hear from you. And so am I because it was really fun to interview her. This podcast was brought to you by Berkeley Jove, publishers of Nalini Singh's side-changeling book, Heart of Obsidian. 
you'll discover a love story so dark it could shatter the world itself. You can pick up your paperback copy of the book that answers the most tantalizing, side-changeling mystery of them all. Don't miss Heart of Obsidian, now available wherever paperbacks are sold. The music that you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. You can follow her on Twitter at Sassy Outwater. This is Three Ships by a UK duo we featured before called Deviations Project. This song is from their Christmas album, Adeste Fiddles. I will have information in the podcast entry about where you can buy this track and check out the whole album. Future podcasts will involve, you guessed it, me and Jane talking about romance novels and probably more interviews because they're really fun. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing, Jane and I wish you the very best of reading. <laughs>